I thought one day we're gonna have a great like outtake show that we get to. Uh... There you go. There's old wet blanket shop again. <laughs> Hello world, this is the Wisconsin Way, the only podcast that was more excited to witness that Purdue win the other night than George Marshall. I'm Scott, I'm your recovering Badger Maniac, I'm joined by Sham in Chicago, and if you want to check us out on Twitter, at the Wisconsin Way, or if you want to email us at, uh, excuse me, the Wisconsin Way at gmail.com. How's it going, Sham? It's going pretty well. Way to sneak in the George Marshall reference. <laughs> I was uh, I was actually closely following to see if, if Trayvon Jackson or George Marshall was going to show up because... I think it's about time to stir up that debate again. <laughs> it's been a few years, man. Nobody's uh, nobody's dredged that one up. I think it's about time. Yeah, so I think uh, I, I'm still yet to see the first uh, tweet about how Trayvon Jackson's a bad teammate, but I'm sure if I look hard enough, I'll find it. Maybe he's uh, too busy uh, talking to Tyler Harrow. He uh, didn't have time to make it down for the game. No, exactly. <laughs> and running up and down the steps in that like gas mask thing that he was doing a couple years ago to get ready for the NBA draft. As if, that, as if that was going to put him over the top. All right, man. So after that game last night, what were your first thoughts? That was a, a pretty big program win, and I was pretty excited about it. What was your uh, was your big takeaways? Yeah, I I think I have a couple things, but first and foremost, we've talked about how they really struggle when the other team goes on a little run. It kind of snowballs, and and four point runs turn into eight or ten point runs. And I think they did a really good job of you know taking punches and fighting back. You know, the first half, I think, early on in the game when the shots weren't falling, they stayed with it. But more importantly, in the second half, when Purdue, I think, went up nine, and, um, you know, it kind of had the feeling where you were happy we hung around long enough, but that Purdue was just going to ice it and put it away then and there. But we kind of stuck with it, and I think we we cleaned up things on offense and did just enough to get back into the game. Um, you know, thanks in large part to the defense. But, you know, that was a, the thing that stuck with me is that this team's shown a lot of second-half fight this year, um, and it felt really good that it actually converted or translated into a win. What was that, about maybe 8 to 10 minutes left in the second half? Purdue was up 9, and if I remember correctly, uh, Brevin hit a... Oh, what did he have? Did he have, like, a little run-out, or am I thinking of the first half? When he hit a 3 and then he had that run-out. That was right at the end of the first half, wasn't yep. it? Yeah, I think that was uh, that might have been in the second half. I can't recall, but I thought I had a note on there. Somebody we hit a big shot. Oh, Brad Davison hit a three. In the second half. Oh, that's what it was. Yep, it was Brad hitting that long three. And yeah. then after that point, we just seemed like we kind of we had tightened up. There, we gone on a couple minute drought, and it just seemed like we we were more fluid on the offensive end from that point going forward. Yeah. Oh, and and just to touch on that, Brevin Pritzel three and run out. I think that was. That was the first Badger-related scream I've had since the Xavier game. I think I was uh, <laughs> I was sitting alone in my apartment, and I have uh, I I pretty much lost it at that point. That was that was pretty fun. Was it on the thirty footer or the reverse layup? It was the uh, <clears throat> the thirty footer was nice, and then the uh, the layup that that's the the run out was amazing. I I didn't know he had it in him, but you know we're a Brevin Pritzel podcast, so that felt great for multiple reasons. <laughs> We haven't changed the name yet. We are still the Wisconsin way, aren't we? We should yeah. probably switch up the Twitter handle here, too. The, the Brevin Pritzel way. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Man, I thought he was going to dunk on that breakaway, too. I just thought he was just going to cock one back and just smash on him. Oh, I would have. That would have that been it for me. 
So wait, was the scream on the the thirty foot three, or was it on the run out? Or just it was on the run out. It was on the run out because I was still on on a high from the three, and then that run out happened, and I just knew he was gonna he was gonna get that layup in, and it was perfect. <laughs> it was beautiful. Nothing rained on Robbie Hum- Robbie Hummel's parade quite like Brevin Prince was taking that game over. How beautiful was it that Robbie Hummel had to had to sit there and watch that out of all <laughs> out of all possible ESPN guys like. As much as it is fun to hear Dan Dockich talk about the Badgers when we're playing well, um, nothing beat having to listen to Robbie Hummel slowly die inside as his Boilermakers lost their third game in a row, probably to you know, a top, bottom four team in the Big Ten, bottom six team in the Big Ten. Hey, you know what? Bottom four, I'm going to argue with you on. Bottom five or bottom six, I don't got much for you. <laughs> but bottom four, I'll, I'll fight you to the death on that one. We are at least the fifth worst team at worst. In the Big Ten. Well, now I think we're, we're after that one. We might be the best team in the Big Ten. <laughs> hey, we're feeling like it at least for a couple more days here. We're gonna we're gonna blow out uh, the Gophers by by twenty tomorrow. Uh, I'm pretty excited about that one. So uh, that'll be be nice oh, to yeah. to have another another nice cathartic win and string two of them back to back together. No Amir Coffee either, so that's shaping uh, <laughs> up nicely on paper at least. So what's your uh, what was your your low point of the game? What were what were some things that you saw that were the big negatives to, to take after that one? I know they're going to be hard. There's few few uh, and far between for the negatives. But what you got? Yeah, I got a couple things. Like it's tough to it's tough to pick on negatives after that. But the obviously the offense, um, you know, didn't perform that well. But Purdue's got one of the best defenses in the country, um, efficiency wise, and that, that's kind of expected. But Really what I was disappointed is that I think Charlie Thomas is kind of a guy that you would you would hope would be a really good, useful player to have in a game like this because we needed to body up Haas and we needed to wear him down and wear her arms down um, as the game went on and you know he wasn't able to get off the bench and Aaron Mache played, um, Alex Elkanen played, and Nate Reavers played, but uh, you know Charlie wasn't able to get off the bench and I think a guy with his uh, physical tools would have been someone you know, at the beginning of his career, you would you would anticipate he would be able to, a guy who would bang in games like this. But I guess I had to kind of split hairs to find that one. But that would yeah. uh, that would be kind of that was kind of disappointing to me. I don't want to channel my inner buck around right now and just read the box score, but we're just going to go through it here quick. We got a grand total of three points off the bench. Uh, Schlunt had two on that little weird reverse layup flip where I don't even think he was looking at the hoop, <laughs> and then Mesh split a, a pair of free throws. And our bench minutes, uh, Schlunt and Mesh played nine. Uh, Reavers played eight. He was in foul trouble most of the game, but he played eight. And then uh, Illicanen played three. So we did not get a whole lot off the bench um, from that group. We, we had five guys. Ethan, Aleem, Khalil, Brad, and uh, Brevin were all over 30 minutes. So they, did, uh, they carried the, the load for that one for sure. Whenever I see TJ Schlunt do that kind of little uh... – that flip and pray reverse layup. I think he's attempted two or three so far in the season. I feel like a little piece of me is actually playing on the Badgers because that's my exact uh, technique when I'm playing basketball to get those reverse layups up. I'm going to throw this out there, though. I think you've made more of those in your life than he has. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate I, that. I've seen, I've, I've at least witnessed, I think that was the first one that Schlenz has made this year of those i think he's he's missed that exact shot in a couple other scenarios so i think that might be the first make that i've seen him have but i've seen you have at least two or three so Thanks. yeah i think when uh <laughs> before they tore the surf down i wish they had a memorial service and projected actually a hologram of me flipping up 
disclosure versus layups because I think that was probably that was probably justified, but it's okay. It's all good. We can make you some lapel pins or something yeah, like that. Maybe exactly. some cool warm ups. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. <laughs> My one big negative from the game, the only thing that I really want to harp on, uh, which which was tough, was Aleem Ford. Um, Aleem played 36 minutes and really played his butt off on defense. Uh, but I was hoping to get a little bit more offense out of him, especially in that kind of a game. Um, Purdue has a lot of really good perimeter defenders and guys that, that close really well. And Aleem is a little bit taller than just about everybody, all of our other shooters on the team. And so Aleem's a little bit uh, more able to get his shot off. And he went one for seven um, from three and uh, had a couple other opportunities that he passed up or or didn't quite have his feet set. He had a couple couple looks where he was uh, had a pretty big mismatches in the post where he had uh, Edwards or P.J. Thompson on him in the post and was trying to post up, and he got you know dislodged or guys couldn't make an entry pass to him when he had a inch height mismatch. So um, I think that sophomore year, Aleem, is going to be a, a little bit more able to to demand the ball in the post and hold position and hopefully uh, get some easy buckets to get his outside shots falling. He just really needed to, to see a couple go through the rim, and when he made that one in the second half, um, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes left in the second half, kind of in the middle of the second half, he, he finally got one to go down. And he had a big cathartic yell at midcourt as he was running back. You could tell that he had been frustrated up to that point. So I'm my I'm hoping uh, if, if Aleem would, would have had a, a more average game from him, this would have been a, a little bit better offensive showing by Wisconsin. But I'm glad we got the win regardless. So. Yeah, a couple things on Aleem is initially I thought he was uh... – he was getting those good looks too, and we know he can shoot the three. And him just not hitting those was was just abnormal. I didn't feel like he was forcing anything, and he was kind of just hunting his shot naturally in the flow of the offense. And it's a bummer that he wasn't able to get any of those to go. Um, and kind of touching on your point, when he had some position in the post on those smaller guys, you know, we've talked about how we think this summer is going to be huge growth growth summer for him in terms of strength and the ability to kind of be a little more aggressive when he's got the ball in isolation situations like that or on post-ups. And I think that's something that we're, you know, we're really looking forward to. Um, but really in the grand scheme of things, you would have thought for us to win a game like this, it requires, you know, required a really good game from a lean forward to hit those hit threes. Um, and the whole season we've been talking about how, this team's got no margin for error on their performance. And it's kind of interesting to see that we ended up winning that game when I thought we left a lot of points out on the table. Um, and I think mm-hmm. we actually had a little bit of a margin for error because of how well our defense played. We, uh, since we are the changing our name in the near future to the Brevin Pritzel way, we can just say that Aleem can shoot the piss out of the ball. And uh, it was tough to to see him miss a bunch, but um, I'm glad that that he uh, made an impact on the defensive end. He really he played his butt off, and I think that's part of just having his. Uh, it's been a long season for him, and it's it's tough to to put, expend that much energy on the defensive end and then come back and, and be counted on to hit that many open jumpers. So I'm glad that that we got what we did out of him. Mm-hmm. Hey Sean, what uh what big positive? It's gonna be hard for you to. Uh, to, to pick just one, but what are your, your big positive takeaways from the game? I've got one big one, and that is what you got? <laughs> my man Khalil Iverson. I think he played the best game of his career on the defensive end, and we were talking before we hit the record button that he had a really low offensive rating. I think he was at uh, 68 or 69. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Um, but I said I'd be totally fine with that if he plays defense <laughs> the way he does 
or the way he did, if he plays defense like that. Um, you know, he did a really good job of chasing Carson Edwards around. And, you know, as you know, I think Edwards gets a little bit of flack, uh, kind of un- unnecessarily, but I think Carson Edwards is like one of the best offensive players in the Big Ten. And him and Matthias really use their screens well. And watching them sprint all over the court and change direction and seeing Khalil able to chase around screens like that. And I think he did a really good job of just kind of staying low, um, getting around those screens and contesting those jumpers. And and that was just a lights-out performance from him. And this team is obviously just a much different team on defense when he does that and plays defense defense like he did. Um, You know, he... For being kind of your marquee perimeter defender, he is very prone to boneheaded moves, whether he's you know closing out out of control or he uses poor footwork around screens. I personally think he just stays really high when he's trying to get around screens. That always gets him kind of a, a step behind and kind of pushed off a spot when he's trying to get around. Um, but I think he did a really good job of getting around screens and staying low and, and chasing and not really following three-point shooters because... Guys like Carson Edwards just kind of catch it, stop on a dime, and shoot. And Khalil did a really good job of contesting without following. Um, as, we, as, we might really just be pouring it on at this point, but we can give a Brevin a little shout-out here, too, for doing a great job on Matthias and Klein. Exactly. Yeah, he played about as well as I've seen him play on the defensive end, mm-hmm. too, um, and really chased really hard, did a good job of, of – Purdue sets a lot of uh, those those little baseline rub screens, and Haas is freaking hard to get around, man. Like That's a lot of screen, and Purdue cuts hard off of those guys, and I thought Brevin, um, for the most part, did a, a really good job fighting through a lot of those and, and staying stuck to shooter's hips, so – um, that's uh, about as good of an effort out of those two yeah. guys as we've seen in their career. So well, shout out to the class of 2015. Exactly. Huh? Hey, who would have thought? <laughs> who would have thought they would have uh, kind of been the the catalyst for the biggest win of the year? Um, another thing. Now we're talking about Brevin Pritzel and Dakota Mathias. I want Brevin Pritzel to spend this offseason watching Mathias and Edwards use their screens because the way those guys can get around um, and get around user screens, kind of rub shoulders with their screeners and. and get their shots off is something that, you know, I, in my dreams, I envision Brevin Pritzel being able to do that next year or his senior year, because that's a, uh, it was impressive. And I think he's got the shooting ability. And he, once he gets the other stuff figured out, I think he's going to be a really dangerous offensive weapon. My big takeaway from the game, besides uh, Ethan Happ playing his ass off and besides Frank and all the other fun stuff around the game, I think uh, Brad Davidson played about as good as he has all year this year. Um, he had kind of a quiet 16 uh, for for the impact that he made. The thing that I picked up on early on in the game that he did a really good job throughout the game is he got stuck numerous times having to, to battle bigger guys down low, having to battle Edwards and Matthias and, and those guys um, in the paint. And he had a – there was a couple – um, he had two back-to-back, one where he rooted out Matthias and one where he rooted out Edwards in the in the post, where they looked like they were going to have easy offensive rebound putbacks and Brad didn't have any help. And as those guys would go up, Brad kind of used his hips. He didn't extend his arms so he wouldn't get uh, you know noticed for a foul, but he kind of would use his hips and walk up under those guys and walk them away from the ball so that somebody else could come and clear the rebound. And I think that he saved us you know two, four, six points easily in the first half just on positioning on the, the defensive end for, for rebounds. So that's a, a classic bow, uh, bowism that he used to emphasize, not giving up offensive rebounds and making sure that you are 
always clear your man out and, and let your teammates come get the ball. Um, and for years, we would would lead the country in offensive rebounding rates, um, or excuse me, in defensive rebounding rates. We give up very, very few offensive rebounds. And I think Brad, uh, um, for a tiny guard, he really positions himself well and, and, and does a good job rooting guys out. I thought he just played a, as good as a game as, as I've seen him play, especially when Purdue was jumping his right arm and trying to push him back to his left every chance they got. He, he fought them um, every every of uh, 36 minutes and, and played his butt off so he gets a gets my props for the game for sure yeah I was impressed with him because uh kind of shifting gears I think on the offensive end he really showed um just a really steady hand and over the years um and, and Jordan Taylor really comes to mind but you know commentators and opponent opposing <laughs> coaches would constantly praise how calm the Badgers would remain when the shot clock dwindled down and, you know, Taylor would sometimes get the mm-hmm. ball five or six seconds left, and there was never a doubt that he was going to get a good shot or get fouled. Um, but just at the end of the day, he just wouldn't make dumb plays. And I think Brad showed that, that that characteristic incredibly the other night because he, you know, constantly we were struggling. Obviously, I mean, the game was just a clunker. No one could score. And he was constantly finding the ball with a couple of seconds left on the shot clock. And, you know, a couple of times down the stretch, he got fouled going to the basket. Um and you know he just was very, uh, very calm and a very steady hand at that at the end of the shot clock. Um, and he's just got a really good ability to get fouled when he's going to the basket. Once he kind of gets his hip around the guy, um, he kind of does a good job of, of baiting them into a foul. Um, and it's it's actually really reminiscent of the way Jimmy Butler can get to the line in situations <laughs> like that too. Butler is All one right, of the best of best guys just to to draw. We'll just fouls. throw another little Thibodeau reference in there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. another little Thibodeau reference. At the end of the game, they tried to tried to ice or blue Brad Davidson a couple times when they'd come set ball screens to try to get him to his right hand, and they'd push him back away from the screen and try to get him to go back to his left hand. I think twice he was able to kind of navigate and and jump under uh, his defender and the the help defender and and wiggle into the lane and, and get fouled. So. Um, funny to see. We talk about it last week on the podcast and and how nobody does it at the college level, but when you have a all of a sudden you're inviting the the ice on the ball screens well yeah exactly and it's a one-handed guard and it's also a screener who can't shoot so it's kind of a, <laughs> it's a perfect situation to ice a ball screen and it's it's a tough defense it's a tough defense when you when you're kind of stuck with 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 a guy with a one-handed ball handler and a, guy, a screener who can't shoot and he was able to uh exploit it so that was pretty impressive if I remember correctly, in those last maybe six or eight possessions that we had, um, under four to five minutes left, we had Brad ISO kind of at the end of the shot clock three times, and I think he got fouled going to his right hand twice. And then there was another one where they came and they pushed him back to his left hand. He had a step-back jumper from the, the left wing at about 17 feet. So Brad came through when we needed him to, and this is something that we struggled with as a, as a group being able to, you know, manufacture good shots in under 10 seconds left in the shot clock. But as, as this group grown this year, um, they were able to, to do a pretty darn good job of it the other night against one of the best defensive teams in the country. Oh, yeah, exactly. So a couple other things, man. That was a, a pretty cool night for, for Frank Kaminsky um, to, to inject that kind of enthusiasm into the gym um, and to be that much a part of the program on a night when we really, really needed him. Um, question for you. What, uh, what's your favorite Frank Kaminsky story from his time at UW? Have any, any of that, uh, 
that you've you've always uh, looked back on fondly, wax poetic about? Um, yeah, I could. So my favorite was when he hit two threes against Indiana, um, and then got the eye injury, which led to the infamous uh, <laughs> headband and goggles. And then uh, Bo Ryan got interviewed at halftime, and he said, "Quote." Frankie Kaminsky came in, hit two threes, and got his eye poked out. Um, that one always stuck with me because I, I, I laughed at that, and I think that was right in the midst of everyone questioning who the hell Frank Kaminsky was and, and what his problem was. But, um, you know, I think a lot of moments stick out to me. Um, I think his progress on the defensive end and him really turning into kind of a really good positional post defender and then also mastering kind of that that reach around steel that, you know, Ethan Happ has gotten, uh, has gotten used to doing too. Um, mm-hmm. that was, uh, that, that was one of my fa- favorite Frank Kaminsky things. Um, but one thing I remember is the, uh, the Michigan game in 2014 on the road. Um, he, he really carried us down the stretch. And at one point he hit that step back three from the top of the key. That was a huge shot. Um, but, but he, that was a huge win. Cause I think Michigan had already beaten us that year at home. And that was kind of when we were recovering. Cause I think at one point that year we had lost five of six and that was when we were trying to recover from that, that dry spell. And that was a huge game for us to kind of get on track. And, you know, Frank Kaminsky kind of carried us. And that, that's one that always sticks out in my mind. And obviously, you know, all the player of the years and, and, you know, the next season he had several great performances, but that was, uh, that was a real coming-of-age Frank Kaminsky game, I think. Frank, uh, I think one of the, the biggest imprints he left on me on the program is just how goofy and fun-loving he was. And uh, regardless of, of what the situation was, he had some some pretty good ups and downs during his career. But just always very level-headed, always always very laid-back, and, and always willing to, to cut the tension with a, a joke or or to some sort of uh, self-deprecating humor. So he uh, was a pretty hilarious dude. And all of my best memories from him, besides all the stuff on the court, are just him him being a cut-up. That's yeah. the, he was the just, stuff that I always know, enjoyed. Underneath the, the goofy personality, he was just a silent killer, too. Um, I think that was my favorite part. <laughs> you got to have a couple of those with the program. Yeah, exactly. So any uh, any other takeaways from the, the Purdue night and all of the... The, the good vibes that this program suddenly has surrounding it after that? Um, I thought, uh, you know, I think the Frank Kaminsky thing was just perfect. And I, I, I threw this out on Twitter too. Uh, but Jason Benetti on the call, um, I'm a huge White Sox fan. So for those who don't know, he does the play-by-play now um, for White Sox TV. And he is just a phenomenal, um, phenomenal uh, play-by-play guy for ESPN too, um, but he was, uh, he, you know, when he interviewed Frank, I thought that was really cool, um, and he gave him that '83 jersey, the '83 White mm-hmm. Sox jersey. Um, so I thought uh, that was kind of cool, and that was kind of a world's world's collide moment for me. But anyway, I was <laughs> anyway getting to my point. I was at Sox Fest a couple weeks ago, and you know, Jason Benetti was just kind of walking around um, during the festivities, and you know, me and my friend, you know, bumped into him, and we just started chatting. And he had mentioned he was doing the Frank Kaminsky game at Wisconsin after we told him we were Wisconsin fans. Um, and I, I told him to expect a win that night. That it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, you guys can all thank me later. Uh, but <laughs> I think I put some good juju on the program. 
uh, what point did you tweet this uh, like right after you saw him, or did you tweet this? Uh, no, I tweeted it after, like during the game. Oh, all right. Well, as long like, as you did it before the, the yeah, buzzer. I didn't want freezing, I think, I think it freezing cold takes to come after me if I tweeted it, you know, too far in advance. So <laughs> that's I think that's perfect timing. You know, right around tip off, that's the yeah. best time to to make grand proclamations. Exactly. Exactly. Um <laughs> I, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I got one other weird worlds colliding thing that uh, we had. Uh Brad Davidson had a, a shot pass to uh Khalil with, what, a couple minutes left, and Khalil had that dunk under the rim? Was yep. that maybe three minutes left in the yep. game? Yeah, and I just immediately thought of Gary Close, because that was a, a Gary Close and a, a Dr. Tom at Iowa was running that shot pass, especially late in the shot clock. You uh, maybe run like a, a little double screen up top, have a shooter come around, and then have that that first screen roll to the hoop, and very rarely would anybody ever expect that, that jump shooter to actually pass under the rim. And Bo would run that very rarely, um, and I, I don't think that was necessarily a, a, a drawn-up look because I don't think Khalil expected the ball till it hit him in the hands. Um, um, but that's uh, immediately Gary Close was in the house. Uh, I think he was. Uh, they took pictures with him with the group um, at halftime, and I just thought that was a wonderful little shout out to to him and Dr. Tom at, at Iowa and uh, all of the weird uh, plays that they used to draw up. So nice little nice little honoring of, of GC. Yeah, I. Uh... You know that that was that kind of goes back to my my praise for Brad Davis Davison and it was a it was a really calm play and you know I hate I hate leaving the floor uh, to make a pass but it was uh, you know he found the he found the open guy and yeah it did not look like a drawn up look because Khalil did not expect the ball but also I don't think Khalil ever really expects the ball either he always looks kind of shocked <laughs> when he when he finds the ball in his hands so as long as he hit him in the say, hands really. with it it's fine yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just he'll he'll figure it out when it gets there so looking ahead here to to minnesota there's a couple games left here um what do you what are you thinking for this team I, i've you know every every team usually has a, a clunker where they they play beneath themselves during the course of the year and they always have uh have a game where they play a little bit above their capabilities and i think this badger has had plenty of clunkers but i don't think they've put too many good you know 40 minute games together um, I think the the defensive effort versus Purdue was definitely there for 40 minutes, but as a you know as still as a as a cohesive group on offense, there's some some things left to to be desired. What are you uh, what are you hoping for against Michigan against uh, Minnesota in this couple games here? Uh, obviously, you don't want to see a letdown game, um, but I think especially without Amir Coffee and obviously uh, Reggie Lynch, um, I think this Minnesota team and we talked about it before is just kind of in shambles right now so i think i'd feel pretty bad if we found a way to lose to them um i haven't even looked at what the line is but i don't uh i don't anticipate us having too much too much trouble with them unless we just kind of come out and really just put out a clunker so i'm looking for a nice solid win um and i thought we you know really established ourselves and turned a corner with the way we, you know, gave that effort on defense and looking looking for more of that, and hopefully uh, a more efficient offensive uh, output. Because I think there's only one way to go after that Purdue game. Granted, Purdue does have I one of the best so. defenses in the country. So, yep, and. And you know, the Badgers have played a brutal schedule this year. When you look at the top 25, you know it's littered with teams that the Badgers have have played tough. Um, you look at Xavier, you look at uh, Virginia, 
Um, there's all kinds of uh, of what ifs during the course of this season that the Badgers have had, where they've been, you know, really close to to pulling some games without. It's not a, you know, like this is a bad Badgers team. At times, they've they've been tough to watch, but they've also played a lot of really really close games against good teams. So I'm hoping that um, we can take care of business against Minnesota, and I'm really excited to see how we match up against Michigan State. Um, Michigan State getting them in the Kohl Center, um, getting them with a little bit of con- a little bit of uh, a momentum. Um, I'm excited to see. You know, we may we may not be able to beat them, but I'm really hoping that we can give them a good that we can put together a good 40 minutes against them. Yeah, a couple things. Uh, Michigan State now just jumped in um, and uh, into the top 10 on both offense and defense on Ken Palm NT rank. Uh, and previously, Purdue was the only team in the country with that. So, yep. Um, and then another thing, uh, we talked about Villanova and uh, their quest to be the most efficient offense in the Ken Palm era. <laughs> okay, where they after the game against Xavier, they um, are still below uh, where the 2015 Badgers were. So, the 2015 Badgers were at 129 points per 100 possessions. Yep. And this Villanova team is 128.9. So, by my math, <laughs> we're still ahead. And that's after hanging, what, 95 on Xavier? Yeah, the other? exactly. <laughs> Yeesh. I was expecting a little bit more out of Xavier in that game. That was a really disjointed, weird game. Yeah, I'm still uh, I'm still pretty unsure on Xavier because I like, I like Blewett. And I, I think McCure has got a good game. I can't stand the guy, but he's got a decent game. But I just feel like they always find a way just to play a little below their a little below their their ability. And um, I'm just not impressed with their defense. And I don't expect that to be a good uh, a good combination in March. That's probably the weirdest thing about the, this Xavier team. And I've watched them a handful of times this year. Um, Watching Xavier over the years, I have a an expectation for the way that they play defense and for how physical they are as a unit. They just always are, are very well coached and Max a pretty good good overall coach and he just, you know, knows how to teach defense and guys that can throw their bodies around. They just don't have that same kind of a kind of a moxie this year on the defensive end like they usually have. It's just a, a different group for them. So I think my text during the the um Villanova game to you read something like if you can't uh, if you can't uh, stop them outscore them I'm pretty sure that's how the old adage goes mm-hmm. yeah so um, that's just uh, uh, that was uh, an interesting game I was hoping that Xavier would would help us out keeping the 2015 team in the record books for a little bit longer but we'll see hopefully uh, Villanova goes cold here for the next couple weeks yeah just uh, I mean they're fine where they're at as long as they don't pass uh, 129 I'll be happy but. <laughs> As much as uh, you know, I, I don't want them to to do that. I think Jalen Brunson is just, just. I don't think he gets the love, and he's not. You know, him and Mikel Bridges probably aren't the flashiest guys in the country, and you know, people are much more interested in seeing you know some of the flashier guys. But those two are, are some of my favorite players to watch. Those dudes can ball. Mm-hmm. They they just they just make shots. <laughs> exactly. That's. Yeah, Brunson never looks like a guy that, you know, can take the game over. And then all of a sudden you look up, he's got 20-25 on the scoreboard because he just makes shots. Well, I think uh, Jay Wright just does a good job. And this goes back to, 
um, you know, Kyle Lowry days. I think he just gets guys who can just, they can just ball and they, they're just shot makers. And, you know, even think about like a guy like Josh Hart was probably one of the best scorers in the country now. And I, I don't think he's, um, he wasn't like a flashy name coming out into the draft or anything, but he was one of the best shot makers out there. Um, and obviously a guy like Archie Diacono, and now you got mm-hmm. Brunson, obviously was on those teams, but then Bridges as well. Um, and they're just, uh, they're just a tough matchup. I think uh, this is something that Bo used to talk about a lot too, and he would he would track. But Jay Wright able to get guys to their spots. He just knows how to get his guys comfortable where they have their zones, side of the floor, left side of the floor, within a certain range. He knows how to get his guys to to their spots to get them comfortable and get them going. Um, it's uh they always are just a nightmare to to try and defend. I'm still am amazed that the Badger team somehow knocked them off last year. Oh, I'm still not quite sure how that happened. Exactly. That was <laughs> Yeah, and I mean I think that was just uh big balls Bronson down the stretch. Yeah. Um I think he was he was hanging a bigger sack than anyone else on the court. <laughs> well, on that note, should we call it a show? Yeah, I think so. Let's get out of here. <laughs> With a, a, Before a it gets balls, any Bronson worse. Reference. <laughs> Or it should be Big Dick Bronson, I guess, if you wanted to be more accurate to what actually happened. Um, anyway. Hey, thanks for listening, y'all. Uh, uh, this has been a, another episode of The Wisconsin Way. Uh, Scott and Sham signing off. If you want to check us out on Twitter, at The Wisconsin Way, or uh, email us any, any ways to uh, balls Bronson some more eligibility uh, at thewisconsinway at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, guys.